You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. This episode of the Sport Horse Podcast is brought to you by Hilltop Bio. Hilltop Bio is committed to developing innovative therapies and improving the lives of horses. Based on the latest scientific advancements, they've created cutting-edge regenerative therapies that are custom-engineered and optimized for specific indications. They're also recommended by top veterinarians like the U.S. show jumping team vet Heather Sherman. They're produced under the strictest manufacturing standards and are show safe to use. If you're familiar with stem cells, PRP, and IRAP for your horse, Hilltop Bio is producing the next generation of regenerative therapies to get your horse on the fast track to healing. Visit HilltopBio.com for more information. Hello, and welcome to the Sport Horse Podcast. I'm Nicole Lakin. And I'm Tim Warden, and we have a discussion on today's episode that I know you will really enjoy. So today's episode, it will get into a little bit more about orthobiologics and you know, how you would how a veterinarian would evaluate what works and what doesn't work in practice. But uh, just taking a step back, uh, for those who don't know, I'm located in Toronto and stem cells were actually discovered in Toronto 60 years ago this year. Uh, or I guess I should say like the big, the really famous nature publication by Tillam McCulloch was in 1963. So it's it's a little bit fascinating to, to have this discussion with our guest and to think about how far orthobiologics and like stem cells and regenerative medicine have come in a relatively short period of time. And I think what we'll talk about today will shed light on in, in, in horses, sort of where we're at and the exciting projects that are ongoing to really figure out what products should be used when and where. And it's uh, it's really fascinating to hear Bo's take on it as well, because he has a really strong science background, and he's combining that with the, the clinical aspects. So it's, uh, yeah, it's it's something that I know you're really going to enjoy. It's you grounding us in history, Tim. Yeah, I try. I try. Oh. I was Googling that a little bit uh, before we <laughs> popped on, but yeah. I'm here a, for it. I'm yeah, here for a, it. There's <laughs> a cool statue of Tilla McCulloch like, right downtown uh, in Toronto and stuff. So it's... Uh, definitely a, a proud moment for us Canadians. Well, congratulations and happy, happy 60th stem cells. Um, so uh, <laughs> bringing it back, <laughs> I'm so excited to share this conversation with you guys today. Um, I've gotten to work with Dr. Bo Whitaker a little bit over this last year, and um, he's really just a really great and thoughtful practitioner. Um, and so I was so excited to have him on the podcast. Um, hopefully, this was the first time, but hopefully not the last time, because he's got a lot of exciting projects and and studies that he's involved in. So we'll definitely try and have him back in the future to talk about those. Dr. Bo Whitaker grew up near Nashville, Tennessee on his family's farm, developing a love for horses and livestock. He obtained a degree in animal science from Oklahoma State University, after which he trained quarter horses for a short time. Bo then graduated from Texas A&M University College of Veterinary Medicine in 2005. After graduation, he completed an internship at Arizona Equine Hospital and then worked as a veterinarian at the Four Sixes Ranch in Guthrie, Texas, before joining Dr. Dwyer's Equine Clinic in 2007, which later became Brazos Valley Equine Hospital's Salado, where he established a busy lameness and sports medicine clientele. He received his CERP, so his certification in equine rehabilitation practitioner um, in 2014 from the University of Tennessee, and we are very excited to have him. So let's get right to it. Hi, Bo, and welcome to the Sport Horse Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today. Excellent. Well, we'll jump right into it because we have a lot to cover today. So 
you and I have gotten to know each other a little bit um, through a project that we have going on with the Equine High Performance Sports Group, tracking the use of orthobiologics and regenerative therapies to treat injuries and performance-limiting complaints. Um, and I know that you're a big proponent of orthobiologics and regenerative therapies. Could you tell us just a little bit about your experience using these types of therapies versus the conventional treatments and and sort of for you in your practice, how this evolved um, over time? Yeah, it's been a, a big evolution in the last 15 years, um, and, and it continues to be changing, changing a lot. You know, it just seems like we learn every year new things about it that, that advance the field. You know, when I first got out of school, it was pretty much corticosteroids and hyaluronic acid used in joints. There wasn't a whole lot else. IRAP was you know, being used some at that time, but that was really about the only two, I guess, wide, widespread products that were available. Uh, PRP was starting to be used at that time, but it was mostly just used for, for soft tissue injuries. And we weren't really putting it in, in joints that much, at least, at least in my practice, we weren't. My first, I guess, introduction to, to the products were using it in soft tissue injuries. So suspensory tears, deep flexor tears, things like that. Starting to put, use PRP and, and stem cells early on, you know, were the products that I was I was mostly using in those injuries. And uh, over time, progressed to putting those same products products in joints as well. Um, you know, again, we started off, off using IRAP early on, and that was you know one of our, our, the first orthobiologics that we had available. Um, we say IRAP, you know, ACS, Autologous Condition Serum. Um, it, it was one of the first products. And so it's been really nice because, you know, sometimes using steroids, I feel like sometimes we, I do a horse a disservice, you know, before we didn't have a whole lot of options. And I know there's been some horses that I've, you know, certainly probably ruined using steroids in certain, in certain cases, not certainly not intentionally trying to help the horse, but just because of the, some of the things that we can have happen, we're using steroids that all veterinarians have happened. You know, so horses with, underlying metabolic issues that maybe you're not aware of and put Kenalog in one and you end up with laminitis, um, you know, putting them in joints or bursas where there's a soft tissue injury close by and the, the joint or bursa may get better, but you can make those soft tissue things worse. And so it's been great to where I don't, some of those issues I don't have to worry about much anymore because if I have any concern, I'm putting PRP in there. You know, I'm putting something else, A2M, something else in there that I'm not going to have to lose sleep at night over, you know, whether I did that horse or incline a disservice by by putting steroids in there. And so, you know, that's that's been one of the big things. You know, we, we have so many metabolic horses nowadays and, and we have had for a long time horses with equine metabolic syndrome. And, you know, with those horses, it, you feel pretty safe again using using our orthobiologics that you're not going to do any harm. I think one of the first things we think about as veterinarians is, you know, is it safe and am I going to do any harm to this horse by using this product? And so I feel like there's just a lot more runway with our orthobiologics concerning that compared to a lot of the other products that we've used, used traditionally. And so, you know, PRP is probably the thing that we use the most at this point. Um, and we use it a lot in joints. You know, I, I bet close to 50% of the joints I inject now, I, I inject with PRP. Um, we use some A2M as well. I'll occasionally use IRAP. I don't use it a lot. Um, and occasionally use use some amnion in joints, especially post-surgical. 
joints we're, we're kind of wanting to foster some you know some healing of cartilage maybe post-surgically um and, and I, i'd like to continue to increase that percentage over time you know some of it's client education um sometimes it's cost you know in some cases too um there's a culture you know i, I know it's especially in the western sport works and it, it's in english as well of just this kind of inject everything mentality sometimes and you know i think it's better for us to use a sniper rifle instead of a shotgun when we're trying to treat these horses and it's difficult sometimes you get a horse that has been injected and they've had the hocks the stifles the coffin joints the fetlocks the neck like there's hardly a joint on that horse that that wasn't injected sometimes it's all been with steroids <laughs> and you know and and i think trying to be more focused it, it helps. And I think orthobiologics help with that because it's kind of hard to go just inject the whole horse when it's not easy just to draw it out of a vial and it takes takes five seconds. Um, and so that I'll, I've, I've thought about that forever. You know, like just, I want to make sure I'm treating what needs to be treated and with the right product. And, and we're still figuring that out. We still don't know what's the right product, even with the orthobiologics to put in every joint. That's part of the, you mentioned the initiative that's been started for collecting data. And that's part of the goal of that is to try to help sort some of that out. That's that's really interesting. But when I wanted to, to circle back, so you'd raise like some of the, I guess the downside or potential concerns with using like steroid type therapies. Yeah. Are there any contraindications for some of these uh, regenerative or ortho, orthobiologic uh, products that you, you listed? Yeah. And I think some of that's been trial and error. Um, one thing that we've seen is that check ligament injuries tend to do poorly with PRP. You know, and I've, I've had it happen. And I know a lot of other vets have too, where you know, we don't know what it is about that particular structure, but it seems like if you have a tear in your check ligament and you put PRP in it, those seem to get worse in a lot of cases. And so that's a very, I know that's a very specific contraindication for one product. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get flares also, you know, flares are, are an issue with some of the products. I know it's early on, there are some products that were used and um, you get, you can get pretty bad, pretty significant flares, you know, horses, you know, we call it say broken legged lame, you know, like a non weight bearing lameness for a day or two, sometimes after you inject them. And so there are certain products that if you, that happens to you a time or two, you're probably not going to want to use that product again because your clients aren't, aren't too happy about it. So that, that's a that's a potential to anything you inject in the joint is having a flare, but it seems like there are some specific orthobiologics that are more prone to that than others sometimes related to joints. Okay, interesting, interesting. And then I guess on the flip side, uh, and you've touched a little bit on this, but it seems like every week, maybe that's an exaggeration, but there are so many new therapies coming out, right? And just like little tweaks to different products to try to you know change the factors or, or whatever that they're doing in the actual uh, joint or the structure you're, you're injecting into. Um, like, how do you go about choosing a product and staying on top of all these different options that are coming out there? Um, well, A, I like to know what I'm putting in the horse. And so if they can't tell me what's in their product, you know, and, and at least maybe some degree, how much of those things, then it's kind of hard for me to want to use it if I don't know what, what I'm using. Um, so I think that's, that's one factor. Um, the you know they call them the proteomics, but the the proteins that are going to these things, 
they are getting tweaked all the time. And, you know, one company says, well, we have these proteomics and, they're, you know, these proteins. And then one says, okay, we have these. And so you're trying to compare those against each other sometimes. And I think sometimes that's a fool's errand because um, it doesn't always equate to what you see sequent clinically. And so sometimes you have to try a product for yourself and, and see what kind of response you get or use, you know, feedback from some of your colleagues that you trust that have used it to, to see what they think. Um, but A, I think I need to trust the source, trust the company, you know, and, and know, know what I'm putting in there. And also some of the PRP products, you know, they'll say, oh, it's 2X, it's 6X, it's 4X, whatever, um, which doesn't always mean that much to me. Like, I want to know how many platelets I'm putting in there, which is the dose. 6X doesn't tell me a, a dose, but I don't know what I'm starting with. Um, and so if you use a lot of kit products, you know, it says, okay, this is, that you know, six, you're going to get 6X platelets out of this or whatever, but uh, you just get this flurry of stuff back in the kit sometimes, and I'm not exactly sure what I'm putting in versus if we make our own PRP and we measure it, or if you can measure the kit too, so you know. But I think if you're not measuring it, you don't really know in some of these cases what you're putting in. That brings up a lot of really great points. I think uh, it's worth me just taking one second to just explain a little bit um, when we talk about data tracking is that you've been a, an early uh, an early involved practitioner in our equine clinicians registry that is an effort to bring together a bunch of different um, respected uh, practitioners who are treating sport horses and performance horses um, and recording, you know, what products they're using, where um, their diagnostic parameters to help them make the decision of, of what they're treating. Um, and we have some long-term goals of collecting enough data to hopefully give some valuable feedback back to not only the practitioners who are inputting data, but also to the industry as a whole. Um, and I think that um, what you've sort of touched on here is that there's a lot of gaps between science and, and what you can learn from the clinical trials and what the companies are telling you about the products that you're you're choosing from and actual practice. Um, and you, you mentioned about talking to your colleagues about their experiences. Um, but I imagine for, for people who are just trying to get into sports medicine or who are not as familiar with using these products, it can be a little bit overwhelming and and they they don't really know where to start. So would yeah. you mind just touching a little bit on on that, on on what these where you see the biggest gaps right now and and kind of what you wish you knew? Um or you know, if you were in their shoes, what what you wish somebody would have told you, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean uh, uh, this is a kind of a little nerdy, but um understanding i think so many of the growth factors in the cytokines and what they do i think is important to try to help you understand some of these i mean i don't know if i knew what an interleukin was when i graduated from vet school um you know and and i've kind of self and i've self-educated myself on that since then and knowing like you know what's what does il1 do and il1ra and il6 and il10 and, you know some of these growth factors i think can be can be helpful when you're trying to look at you know, mechanism of action and why some things work and some things don't. And I know it's been helpful for me. Now, some people don't don't want to know that stuff, and I understand mm -hmm. that. So when you're first coming out, that I think that can be can be overwhelming. You just want to know if it works, you know, and and how to use it. 
And so not everybody's going to be in the same boat I'm at where they want to understand everything like down to the mechanism of action. And that's not always necessarily important to know. Um, but I, I think that would have been helpful for me to just have a, okay, generally in these type cases, like what's the, what's the list of orthobiologics that are available, have an idea of the cost and then have, and I have an idea of safety. And I think that's a very simple starting point, but you know, like, okay, for joints, you know, we've got, we've got PRP, you know, and there's a million different ways to put PRP in a horse, you know, a way to, to make it with different devices that are out there. Um, you know, it's, and there's, that's too many to even go over and talk about um, on something like this, but kind of having some understanding of what those are. You know, we have A2M, which has come out in the last last couple of years. Um, you know, that's another, I think, a good product. You know, we have IRAP. You know, I think those are part of the three three big ones for joint. And then, you you know, you also have bone marrow aspirate concentrate and things like that, I think, that are, that are used less frequently just because we're a little bit more involved in, in the processing of those things. They're a little bit more invasive in stem cells and things like that. Um, you know, then, then you get into the injuries for injecting soft tissues. And I think that even gets a little more complicated because then you, you've got amnion products, you know, as well as, as you adipose tissue and things like that. So it, it almost would be nice. And I've, I've, I've had a, actually a, a little thing I've done for students that I've put together a talk, um, to kind of sort that out for me and help them understand that, um, at least from my, my perspective and my clinical practice and my clinical judgment. So I, I think early on, it would be helpful to have, have some kind of a charter or something like that, trying to help you guide you and help you understand some of those things um, to kind of get it from people that have already done it and been there. That's really interesting, Bo. And, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on the discussions with the clients and the horse owners as well. Um, I, in my day job, I work for a, a company that's developing regenerative therapies for spinal cord injury. And so yeah. last year I spent a lot of time talking to uh, patient or individuals living with spinal cord injuries. And they talked about how 20 years ago, there was such a hype around stem cells and regenerative products. And then, yeah. and I think at that point they thought like once stem cells come to clinic, it's going to cure them. Everyone's going to be walking again. Like it's going to be like yeah. back hundred percent. And that hasn't really happened for a number of reasons. And I'm curious to hear like when you're talking to owners and you're posing a different orthobiologic or, or going the stem cell route, do you get the sense that everyone thinks it's almost a miracle cure or so what's the perception there? And do, do the expectations always meet what, uh, or do the results always meet the expectations of the owners? Uh, I mean, certainly the results don't always meet their expectations, but I think it's our job to give them realistic expectations. Um, and so I, I think the whole thing is client education, you know, from introducing them to a product, telling them, what it is, what it does, what they can expect. Um, it, it's it's been interesting. With some clients, are just really eager to use a certain product because they've used it on themselves, or their mom had a PRP injection in her knee, and now her knee's better. You know, I, I get a lot more of that now than I used to. Too, I think where it's getting used more on the human side, and clients come in and they're like, "Yeah, I want this because you know <laughs> my neck was injected with that, and now it's better." Um, and so. I think everything, everything related to the orthobiology just comes down to client education and to, uh, letting them understand why we would want to use 
PRP instead of steroids in their horse. And it's going to be more expensive, but this is why it's worth it. Um, educating them about, you know, joint environment, you know, you know, all these things that I think play into letting them know what to expect from the product. And, and I think it's our fault. Oftentimes expectations are our fault, not, not theirs. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, so I want to uh, selfishly <laughs> bring us back for a second um, and and talk a little bit more about the equine clinicians registry. So part of that is tracking client feedback and their perception of efficacy along with your own as you're treating patients. Um, and it's a really important piece of the puzzle. And, and as you said, like setting those expectations um, or helping the the client understand what's reasonable to expect um, is a big piece of, of the puzzle here. Um, yeah. For for some of the vets uh, listening, could you share a little bit about um, you know what you do first of all to set those expectations? Uh, I mean, you you did just a little bit you know, talked about the education, but in terms of of setting your client up to perceive things in the same way that you are. And, and then um, a little bit about why you're involved in and why you're supporting the equine clinicians registry uh, in general. Yeah. I, I think from the expectation standpoint and the client efficacy standpoint, I think there's two factors to a product. I think one is, is time, time of onset. So when is it going to show up where they can tell a difference and there's some differences in products that where that's going to be different between products. And so if, if you eject a certain product that, you know, certain ones may not work great for, they may for a month, you know, a month from now, maybe when you're going to see, really see a big difference and they've got a show, a big show in a week, then that's part of understanding that product. And it's maybe that's product. You, you should probably use a different product at that point. Um, or, or a combination of products sometimes we use like one that maybe kicks in quick and then you can combine it with something that's going to last longer. Um, and then also how long that product's going to, going to last. I think those are the two big, two big factors that we have to understand. And some of that just comes down to experience and use, you know, and it, and it just takes using some of these products multiple, multiple times to be able to, to get a feel for that. Um, and that, and that's how I figured, you know, figure most of these things out. Now you can be told that to, you know, talking to some people that if you haven't used it, like, you know, how quickly is this, does this work? So like A2M, it works pretty fast, you know, similar to similar steroids. So if I, you know, if I've got a horse that needs to be in a show in three days and it needs something, then that may be what, you know, what we go for because it's going to work really fast. Um, and sometimes we might inject that horse with, with that. And then we might come back and inject it with PRP two weeks later. You know, we'll oftentimes do that. And, and sometimes we even use steroids that way, you know, like mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I, I was kind of talking about the bad side of steroids, but there's a, certainly a place for them. And there's probably a lot of places where they're the best thing to use in a lot of cases to a lot of horses. Um, I, I don't think we should be using 100% orthobiologics. Um, I still think triamcinolone, you know, has its place and betamethasone has its place in, in, in practice. Um, and sometimes we'll do that. We'll put triamcinolone in a joint because the horse needs to be at a show and then come, come back a couple weeks later with something else um, that's going to be longer acting and, and you know, and facilitate a, a healthier joint environment. And so I, I think some of that just comes down to to experience and knowing 
how quickly this product's going to work and how long it's going to last. So you can choose the right thing or the right combination of things at the right times. And so I think that's, that's really important. Um, and then I think your second question was about the registry. Yeah. I mean, okay. what, what, yeah. I, uh, to just to help make that transition, you just talked about, and you've, you've said a couple of times about gaining that experience and that's what help, it helps inform decision-making. Yeah. And I see the equine clinicians registry as sort of, um, telling the story of experience that's that's yeah. ultimately what we're yeah. looking to do with it so um yeah. <laughs> to facilitate yeah. that transition yeah if you could tell us yeah. a little bit more about why you're involved yeah well i'm involved i mean hey like i know i've got a pretty good idea now of what products i like to use where and when um and there and there's certainly i could have some blind spots on some of those things you know and because certainly what i use is what some other practitioner uses and and what they have used seems to work for them. And so getting as much data as we can, like on thousands of injections of a product over multiple clinicians in multiple environments over time, you're going to be able to have a pretty good picture of where, where that product is most effective. Um, And so it's just, it's just, you know, getting enough numbers together have an understanding of that. And I think what you're getting at is once you get that much data on all these products, on all these different horses across the country, you know, whether you're not just looking at horses in on the East coast or just horses in Texas, you're kind of looking at horses, you know, over parts of the country that aren't all doing the exact same thing um, that we can get a pretty good idea, kind of a shortcut to tell people, Hey, you know, in a, Fetlock joint, you know, this is reasonable expectation of what we can expect from, from this product versus, versus this other product. And I, and I think over time with enough data that should be able to sort itself out. Yeah, for sure. Like, I think that those are, are, are really good points. And I think it always comes down to the numbers game, right. And uh, like just being on the human side a little bit more, um, there's such a focus put on collecting all this data and it, it is just, it helps you to answer those questions more directed in clinical practice, as you know. And uh, I think, and I'm, I'm curious to hear your thought. We've talked to a lot of different veterinarians about different topics about this, but the upcoming, or I guess it's already here, the shortest of equine veterinarians. And I think that like a project like this also has the opportunity to, as, as you say, like maybe you don't, a lot of these young veterinarians don't have a chance to learn maybe all the mechanisms of action and they may still have a little bit of hesitancy about what projects to use, products to use where, and they, maybe the data coming out of this registry also plays an important role with helping the equine, the young equine veterinarians transition into clinical practice. Yeah. I would have probably loved to have that information, you know, 10, 15 years ago, and it could probably save young practitioners a lot of trial and error of going through maybe some of the pains that that I had to go through early on, not knowing how to use something or trying something in, in the wrong place or, you know, and certainly that I think sometimes we get, we can get confirmation bias on some of the things we use too, you know? Um, and so I, I think some, having some objective data helps to limit, eliminate some of that. Yeah. I, I'm also curious um, if you'd be willing to share 
um, and maybe this is something that you just want to give us some links to share with our listeners. But um, I know uh, when you and I talked a few months ago, you shared a little bit about some of the um, the resources and the places that you went for that kind of education. Um, I know that there are companies out there that do a lot of really great continuing education. Um, some that I think that you're involved in as well. Um, are there yeah. any places that you recommend that people go to to learn all these different pieces of the puzzle that can ultimately help them make better choices for their patients? I mean, a lot of what I learned from was is human literature and just doing searches of, of human literature, you know, learning about a lot of just, if you're going down to kind of the, the basics of, of inflammation and the inflammatory cascade and understanding all that, you know, a lot of that for me has just come from the human side. Um, and I would just go in and do searches and save papers and learn things that way. Um, the Orthobiologic Summit has been really helpful for you know for me as well. I've, I've gained a lot from from listening to and participating in that. Um, on that side, it's kind of neat because you're getting a combination of of the human side and the equine side. So you're getting some of the equi- you know you're getting some of the experts from both sides, and I, I've I've gained a lot from that. And listening to the, some of the human humans human doctors that are using those products and people and what they think about. And then having open discussions about the differences in, in horses and in humans has been really, really enlightening. Yeah, I do think it's really cool. It's, it's one of those areas. I, I mean, I think orthopedics in general, but especially with when it comes to orthobi- orthobiologics and regenerative therapies, that there is so much interest from the human MDs uh, of what's going on in the equine veterinary yeah. space and vice versa. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's go it goes both ways. It's not just one group learning from the other. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. And my doctor that does my pain med stuff, we have pretty neat conversations about that stuff all the time, kind of throwing stuff back and forth to each other. So yeah, I encourage anybody that any veterinarian that knows a human doctor that deals with this stuff to talk to them. Cause you can have some pretty, pretty good conversations. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, we, you've been so generous with your time and we're so grateful uh, to have had you today for this conversation. We have one last question that we ask all of our guests. Um, and that is, if you could talk directly to a horse and they could understand you, what would you want them to know? Well, I, I know you kind of preface this. So I had, a, I had a, I was able to think about it a little bit um, and I was trying to come up with something clever, but I, you know, I had to be honest about about it, I think with my line of work, because the horses can't speak to us, we have to, you know, mash on them in places where they tell us, oh, that hurts. And we have to, you know, flex them and make them hurt and trot off to, to find out where the pain is. You know, and then we take a needle that hurts <laughs> and use that to inject into them to, in, in the whole point to try to make them feel better. So I think these patients that you can tell some of them they're used to you and they're, they kind of fear you to, be like, hey, look, I know some things I'm going to do may not feel good, but this is really me trying to help you. So, so please, please don't kick me. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that's an important sentiment, uh, the practical one. Uh, Appreciate that. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your time with us, Bo. It's been really, really fascinating. Um, I love the the approach you take, the science, uh, going through and digging up and then going into the a bit more of the the pure science behind why these products work and then how you you go through and apply them. It's been really really interesting to to listen to it. Yeah, it's kind of the first principles approach I think that I, I try to 
take to about most of the things I can do. I try to go to the first principles, and I think that's that can make things easier sometimes, even though it seems more complicated. Yeah. Perfect. Well, have a great evening again. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll probably bug you again to uh, appear as a guest sometime down the road. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. Thank, thank you all for inviting me. I appreciate it. Had a had a great conversation. Thank you. So that was a, a really fascinating discussion. Uh, I really enjoyed just listening to Bo's perspective about uh, the products he uses. Um, he gave some really great examples of what seems to work and what doesn't. I thought that was really really fascinating, and and also the timeline. So I think in, in my mind, that's something that, you know, sometimes isn't, you know, as much of a priority or isn't thought about as much as it should be. But just knowing the different uh, time points for the different therapies and, you know, what's their therapeutic window, when should they be used and when shouldn't they? So I thought that was all uh, really good. And it was kind of funny when Bo hopped off the uh, the call there. Nicole and I were, were joking a little bit because he did a really great job of bringing up the Orthobiologic Summit that we've, uh, our group has hosted the last couple of years. And uh, yeah, we, we were joking and saying that if we were good at our jobs, we probably would have done that for him and, you know, helped help set that uh, up a little bit better and promoted our own product. So I'm really glad that Bo brought that around and actually talked about what, we, what, we're, what we've been doing, because uh, as he said, I think it is worth going and checking that out. If you head over to uh, our Equine High Performance Sports Group website, and we'll put a link in the, in the show notes, you can... Uh, go and watch some of those talks and they are really, really fascinating to hear both the human and the, uh, the equine perspective on some of those products. Yeah. So thanks. Thanks Bo for being our hype man. Um, that's a wrap for today's episode. You can find the links to today's guest in our show notes and at uh, and on our website at www.sporthorsepodcast.com. As always, we appreciate if you follow us wherever you're listening to this podcast. So hit that follow button, hit that subscribe button, leave us a review so other people can find us as well. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Sport Horse Series. Um, we love we love the love on Instagram and Facebook. So head over there now and give us a follow. You can have all 20 plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with our free app for iPhone and Android. Just go to the app store and search Horse Radio Network. And here's to keeping your sport horse happy and healthy.